our journey to Jesus, our journey to Jesus. And these might be the last two lessons of that little series because this week and next week are the last two Sundays in November. In December, we have a brand new plan for sermon series, God willing, that we will start at the beginning of December. So we've been doing five stories. This is our fifth story that we're doing two parts to each story. And today we start our fifth story. Today's lesson is called The Sacrifice. And we're going to be in Genesis chapter 22. So if you have your Bibles, join us there. The words will be on the screen as we read. But before we get there, I typically give you an icebreaker, a top 10, my own version of top 10 that sometimes are silly and crazy. But I wonder today if we're going to change it a little bit. Do you guys like playing games? Who likes playing games? Who's a game player? Good, good. Yeah. Anybody like board games, things like that? A game, game night would be fun. Okay. All right. Well, I'll get the ball rolling here today because I have a game for you. Maybe you guys have heard this game before, and there is a point to this, as silly as this might be. Maybe I'm going to give you my top 10 would you rathers. Okay. Would you rathers. And what I want you today, I'm not going to give you like pictures or anything like that. I'm going to ask, actually pull the audience in this one. So all you need to do is slip your hand up. I'm going to give you two options. If you don't want to play, you don't have to play. Okay. 10 of these, would you rather. Some of them are quite interesting. Some are a little silly, but that's okay. Ten would-you-rathers, and you just slip your hand up for whichever one you want, and uh, we'll see which one wins. Number ten, would you rather be super strong or super smart? Super strong or super smart? Now, Kevin is already strong, so if you get the smart, you're like the perfect man. What? No. no. How about, who would rather be super strong? Put your hand up for super strong. Okay, we, couple, okay a couple of these. Uh, who would rather be super smart? Oh, yeah, I'd rather be super smart. Who, why? Can someone tell that why you'd rather be super smart? Go ahead. Yeah, because if you're super smart, you can make yourself super strong somehow. Okay, so the smarts will work out to strength. Yeah. Or you'll figure out someone else to be strong for you. You'll be smart, therefore you'll be strong. I like the rationale. Okay, number nine. Would you rather have 20 hours of darkness, four hours of sunlight, 20 hours of darkness, or constant steady rain all day long? Think about it. You'd rather have rain but sunlight. A little bit of daylight but rain all day long. Anyone else on the other side? They'll take the 20 hours of darkness. Nobody. And the reason I ask this is because we're kind of in the season of less sunlight, more darkness, and I really don't like that part of the period of the year. But it was an interesting question. So everyone's going with the rain? All right, everyone will choose the rain. That's a lot of rain, though. All day, every day? What's that? Think, things would, boy, things would grow, right? The trees would be enormous. Uh, here's number eight. Now, again, if some of you know me, this is the reason I'm asking this question. Would you rather eat cheese only for the rest of your life or never eat dairy again? Any dairy. Cheese and cheese products for the rest of your life. Cheese products. Not cheese, not pizza necessarily. But yes. All kinds of cheeses. You'd rather eat cheese for the rest of your life than no dairy? Anyone say, who says I'd rather eat cheese for the rest of my life? Who's a little mouse here? We got a couple mouses back there. Mouse? Oh, wow, okay. Who would say I'd rather eat no dairy? I'll take the no dairy because I got a lot of other foods. The reason I ask is because I can't have dairy and I want to know who my friends are. There are a lot of cheeses. That's right. Soft cheese, hard cheese, creams. Nothing. Cheese on cheese. You got a cheese sandwich, literally. What's that? She's saying cheese is sufficient, and I kind of agree. I think I would be on the cheese team because I can't have cheese. I miss cheese. 
So there we go. Okay, this, this is interesting questions, aren't they? Here we go. Number seven, would you rather live in extreme cold or extreme heat? Who says cold? Put your hands up for cold. I am on the cold team without question. And I'm talking extreme. I'm talking like 20s, 30s, all day, every day. Who would take extreme heat, like hundreds? 95, 100 every day. The close family want to live in the desert. We got, we got two desert inhabitants. Back. Okay, that was an interesting one. Most of us are cold fans, which makes sense why we live in northeast Pennsylvania. You almost moved to Alaska. That would be cold. Here's number five. This is an interesting one. This one comes up a lot. Would you rather be deaf or blind? Who says deaf? Rather not hear at all. Okay. Who says blind? I'd rather hear and not see. Yeah, see, this one's tough. That's like, man, that's tough. I, I'd probably lean towards the sight, but that one's tough. If you've ever lost your hearing temporarily, it's weird. Weird. Like to not hear is very, I don't know, you lose your equilibrium. Here's number four. This one's interesting. Would you rather be poor and have lots of friends? And I'm talking poor, but have lots of friends or be rich and lonely? Who says, who says rich and lonely? Put your hand up for rich and lonely. You got, you got a lot of stuff and a lot of money, but not, nobody likes you. Kevin, why? Are you thinking you could buy friends? Well, no, I can think I can help a lot of people. Oh, okay, okay. You got all Christian on that one. Very good. Who would say I'd rather be poor? I, I, I don't need money as long as I got friends. Like, I'm rich in friends. Anyone on that side? Haddon? Haddon doesn't need money as long as he's got Elijah. Good to know. Very good. That was very, that was very sweet back there. Uh, I guess I'm training him right. Uh, here we go. Number three. Would you rather have to never work again or have your dream job? It's a job you love versus not working because you don't have to ever again. What's, what, what's the hand being raised for, Donnie? Not work again versus your dream job? Is there a dream job out there for you, Donnie? Or is that the dream job? Sure. I think there are. I think there's a job for everything. Who would say they'd not rather never work? I want my schedule. <laughs> you never have worked. Haddon's got his hand raised. He doesn't want to go down that road of work. I understand. I do understand that. Most of you would say dream job. <laughs> That's right. Because Haddon doesn't need the money, as long as he's got the friends, he also doesn't need work. Who would say they'd rather have their dream job? Now, here's another follow-up question. Does anyone have their dream job? I've got to keep my hand raised. I'll get kicked out of here. What's that? You have a dream job to your point? Oh, okay. So it's more about where you, okay. I'd rather have my dream job than not work. I think not working would be cool for a while, but then I'd get restless. Trust me. Trust me. Kevin can vouch for that. Kevin is restless right now. Here's a couple more. Okay, number two is probably our silliest. Would you rather be... Smelly or ugly? Smelly or ugly? Now, think about it. Who? Huh? Pretty ugly. Pretty bad. Not pretty slash ugly, like pretty ugly. Um, who would rather be smelly? Who would rather be smelly? I'd rather reek. Okay. Really? As long as you're good looking, people will let it go. Who'd rather be ugly? Like, I'm talking like ugly. You know what? I don't know. Because that's a game changer. <laughs> These are very unique. Okay. That's a good question. I don't, if you could smell yourself, that's a game changer. If I don't have to smell it, 
Wow, okay. So as long as you look in a mirror and you like what you see, and you don't have to smell yourself. Okay. I think it sounds a little vain, honestly. But Well, if, if you can't smell yourself, but other people think you're vile, you're okay with that? No, I'd rather not smell. Oh, okay. But if I have to sit there for 24 hours... Yeah, gotcha, 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 gotcha. All right, here's our last one. Number one, this, this, think about this, because this could be interesting. Would you rather be able to be invisible or be able to fly? Fly. Fly. Does everyone say fly? They'd rather fly. Who would like to be invisible? Anybody just like to snap their fingers and they're gone? And they're, they're walking around and no one can see them invisible? Okay. Yeah, they can choose. Like visible, invisible. Like they're back and forth. Versus, versus you, Kevin, you're just like the drone. You're just taking off and... In fact, when people say you're smelly, you can you just zip right out of there. You're like, I'm out. Oh man. They'll they'll think they'll think it's they'll think it's them. And uh, oh man, that was too much fun. I'm supposed to preach after this guy somehow. That's definitely our most fun we've had in one of these. I'm getting, maybe I'm starting a new trend here. Anyways, we have to transition out of that because maybe we'll do more of this on Wednesday. Those are quite funny. I found some really silly ones that I couldn't really put up here. But here's, here's one more to transition us into our lesson. Now, I need to think serious, okay, because there is a serious point to this. Would you rather sacrifice your life for Jesus, your entire life for Jesus, or would you rather explain to Jesus at Judgment Day why you did not sacrifice your life for him? That's where we're headed. Take your Bibles and go to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis 22, we're going to read the classic story of Abraham and Isaac. This is our last story in the series. There is a, two, a second part to this story, and we will get to that next week, a very powerful one. So please come back for part two. But today we're going to look at the sacrifice, part one. We're going to look at verses 1 to 19 of Genesis 22. Listen as we read. Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham. And he said to Abraham, Here I am. Or excuse me, and he said... Abraham, and he said, Here I am. Then he said, Take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. So Abraham got up early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he split wood for the burnt offering and set out and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, and I and the boy will go over there, and we will worship and return to you. And Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife, so the two of them walked on together. Isaac spoke to his father, Abraham, and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. As they came to the place of which God had told them, the, and Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood and bound his son Isaac and laid him on top of the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham reached out with his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called and said to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, do not reach out your hand against the boy and do not do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, 
since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham raised his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering in the place of his son. And Abraham named that place, The Lord will provide, as it is to this day. On the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. Indeed, I will greatly bless you and I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies. And in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they got up and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham lived in Beersheba. The sacrifice part one, this is part one to our last, uh, the last story of our series, our journey to Jesus, and that's exactly where we'll land next week, Jesus Christ. But we've looked at four stories so far, and there have been two parts to each story. The whole point of these stories has been Jesus. Number one story, we looked at the creation of the world. The creation of the world. We looked at number two, Adam and Eve, the story of Adam and Eve. We also looked at Cain and Abel, the two brothers. And we looked at number four, Noah's Ark. And we learned that each of those stories all point to our Lord Jesus Christ because the point of every good story is Jesus. I'll say that again. The point of every good story is Jesus. In story number one, if you remember, God created the entire world in six days, and he rested on the seventh day. In the New Testament, Jesus recreated his people and made them brand new creations, able to have their sins forgiven, able to be new people who can say no to sin and yes to God's will. Jesus is the creator. In story two, in the Old Testament, Adam and Eve broke the world by choosing sin over God's will. In the New Testament, Jesus fixed the world by dying on the cross to pay for the sins of his people and rising again to grant them eternal life and hope. Jesus is the Savior. In story number three, in the Old Testament, Cain birthed selfishness and set the world on its self-seeking, sinful pattern of destruction. In the New Testament, Jesus birthed love and proclaimed the path of selflessness and sacrificial love, which can change the world. Jesus is the way. In our last story, story number four, in the Old Testament, God told Noah to build an ark because it was going to serve as a refuge for his family to protect them from the coming storm. In the New Testament, Jesus himself came down to earth to be the refuge for his people from the coming eternal storm. Jesus is the refuge. Do you notice that? Every story leads to Jesus. Today's story is story number five. A sacrifice is going to be given that changes the course of the entire world. And it's only part one of the story because a much greater sacrifice was to come that would change the destiny of the rest of eternity. To set up our story, we're going to rewind a little bit. Maybe you guys remember that back in the day when people had to rewind videotapes. You guys remember that? There was a little slogan from Blockbuster that said, Be kind, rewind. And uh, you're supposed to rewind your videotapes before you dropped them off at your local Blockbuster and if you didn't, you were a rebel. Um, but I remember that being a slogan. And uh, the kids will never know what it's like to rewind, right? And rewinding today is much faster and easier. Back in the day, you'd have to, you'd have to wait a while. Get comfortable. Get the popcorn ready. 
You have a specific rewinder for the tapes? Wow. Okay. I could have used that as an illustration today, Joan. Wow. Has that happened? Seriously. That's never happened to me. So Home Alone takes on a whole different take. That's it. Yeah, okay. Well, <laughs> we're going to do that today. We're going to rewind a little bit, okay? Because Genesis 22 is a powerful story, but it's, it, we need to rewind in order for this story to make the impact it's supposed to. To tell this story today, I want us to imagine the details of the story if we were the main characters, okay? Abraham and his wife Sarah were faithful, loving people who loved and served their God. They were far from perfect, though, and like all of us, they were sinners who needed a Savior from their God. But they lived most of their lives in the pattern of love, obedience, and faithfulness to God. That's the legacy of Abraham and Sarah. It's a wonderful legacy. Abraham and Sarah's life, though, was less than ideal. See, they desperately wanted a child, and they were unable to have one. And that's very, very difficult. That's nothing my family has ever struggled with. But I can only imagine the struggle. We have seven children, really good at it. But see, their greatest earthly desire, Adam and, excuse me, Abraham and Sarah, was to be parents. And that's a good desire. That was a really good desire. But God had not seen them fit, seen it fit to give them a child yet. And like many of us, when God withholds what we desire from our lives, we struggle with that, don't we? We struggle with it. And we often try to attain what we want through other means. Because we want it. And God says no, and we're going to find a way to that destination either way. And if Abraham and Sarah were on our generation today, they, I believe they would have sought out every means possible to gain and conceive a child. And Abraham and Sarah, in their story, did some ungodly things in their attempt to have a child, which God had not yet blessed them with. They tried to manipulate the system in order to get what they wanted, which God had not yet desired to give them. But God saw their desire for a child. He saw that. And even though God does not bless us when we connive and manipulate in our lives in order to get something he has said no to, the desire that Abraham and Sarah had for a child is a good desire. It's a God-given desire. And God saw that desire. So let us imagine that we were Abraham and Sarah, okay? And we desire a child so much that we're actually aching inside for that child. And our attempts to have a child our own way have only made our lives more painful and given us much more heartache. Because God's blessing was not attached to it. Maybe we have a child, but God's blessing was not attached to it. That's not a good thing. And now we're aging, we're getting older, and just like today, the window to conceive a child is not open your entire life. The window for having a child was closing quickly on Abraham and Sarah. Hope was fading. In fact, it was more than fading. The window had firmly shut. Abraham was now 100 years old and Sarah was 90. And even though people lived a little longer back in the day, they were still too old, medically speaking, to have a child. So apparently, from their perspective, God had not seen fit to give them a child, the child that they desired. You see, but that's not true. That's not true, and that's why we're going to rewind a little bit. Because if we read the entire story, we discover that God had already promised them that they would indeed have a child one day. Take your Bibles. It's not going to be on the screen. But let's read a few verses from Genesis 18, and I want you to see this takes place several chapters before ours. And I want you to notice this, because this sets up the foundation for what we're going to talk about today. Genesis 18, let's read verses 1 to 15. It says, Now the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre, and while he was sitting on the tent door in the heat of the day, when he lifted up his eyes and looked, behold, three men were standing opposite him. 
And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, My Lord, if I have now found favor in your, in your sight, please do not pass your servant by. Please let a little water brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree, and I will bring a piece of bread that you may refresh yourselves. After that you may go on, since you have visited your servant. And they said, So do as you have said. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah and said, Quickly prepare three measures of fine flour, knead it, and make bread cakes. Abraham also ran to the herd and took a tender and choice calf and gave it to the servant, and he hurried to prepare it. He took curds and milk and the calf which he had prepared and placed it before them, and he was standing by them under the tree as they ate. Then they said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, There in the tent. He said, I will surely return to you at this time next year, and behold, Sarah, your wife, will have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door, which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age. Sarah was past childbearing. Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I have become old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord, being old also? And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I indeed bear a child when I am so old? Is anything too difficult for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you at this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. <clears throat> Sarah denied it, however, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, No, but you did laugh. That gives us a little bit of foundation for what we're talking about today. See, God promised them, promised them, and God never breaks a promise, that they would have a son one day. You will have a son in my timing one day. So the simple facts of the story are this, is Abraham and Sarah loved God and they followed in his ways. And their heart's desire was to have a child so they could pass on their godly legacy to the next generation. It's a very good desire. And God promised, we just read it in his word, that he would bless that desire and he would give them a child whom they loved and could raise. And did you know that God does give us what we want when it aligns with his will? Did you know that? Let's read a passage from Psalm 37, maybe one you're familiar with. In verse 3 it says, Trust in the Lord and do good to live in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him and he will do it. When your desires line up with the will of God, your desires will be met according to God's promise. And again, imagine that you and I are Abraham and Sarah. We want a child so much, and one day the Lord sends messengers to us to tell us that we will indeed bear a son. How would you react to that news if you were Abraham and Sarah? Would you rest in and trust the Lord's promises, or would you laugh and scoff at that, like Sarah did, and then begin to search out your own means to accomplishing the goal of having a child? Well, both Abraham and Sarah, if they were alive today, if we could interview them, they would admit great failings to not trusting God's promises. But is it not true that God's promises are the key to living the way he's called us to live? Don't we need God's promises? Are not God's promises the key to spiritual freedom and joy? Are they not? Isn't that exactly why God gave us his promises? I'm going to read an excerpt here from the Pilgrim's Progress. Maybe you guys have read this book or know this book. This is a very famous book written many, many years ago. But I'm going to set this little, this little uh, excerpt up for you. Because in this part of the story, the main character, Christian, and his journey mate, Hopeful, had wandered off the path. And they met a giant named Despair. The giant had captured them and was holding them in hostage in the Doubting Castle. 
Giant Despair had told them to commit suicide by morning because if, he, if they didn't, then he was going to do much worse to them in the morning. He had shown them the bones of journeymen before them that Giant Despair had crushed and destroyed in hopes that Christian and Hopeful would kill themselves by morning. Because Giant Despair could not actually kill anybody. He was lying. He could only try to convince them to kill themselves and take their own lives. It was a hope that Giant Despair would talk them into destroying themselves because that was his only play. And so they're being held in a cage at Doubting Castle by Giant Despair. And this is where our scene picks up here. It says in this little excerpt, Now a little bit before it was day, good Christian, as one half amazed, break out into this passionate speech. What a fool am I thus to lie in a stinking dungeon when I may as well walk at liberty. I have a key in my bosom called promise that will, I am persuaded, open any lock in Doubting Castle. Then said Hopeful, that is good news, good brother. Pluck it out of thy bosom and try it. Then Christian pulled it out of his bosom and began to try at the dungeon door, whose bolt, as he turned the key, gave back, and the door flew open with ease. And Christian and Hopeful both came out. Then he went to the outward door that leads into the castle yard, and with his key he opened that door also. After he went to the iron gate, for that gate must be opened too, that lock went desperately hard, but the key did open it. Then they thrust open the gate to make their escape with speed, but that gate, as it opened, made such a creaking that it waked giant despair, who hastily rising tried to pursue his prisoners, but he felt his limbs fail, and his fits took him again, so he could by no means go after them. Then they went on and came to the king's highway, and so were safe, because they were out of his jurisdiction. See, that represents to us today what we're saying. God's promises are the key to despair. When you're despairing, all you need is the key of God's promises to unlock every single despairing gate around you. We simply must take the key out of our bosom and unlock the despairing gates around us. And if we do, they all will fling open wide and we will be allowed to walk freely through them. But Abraham and Sarah had forgotten this. They forgot that. But thankfully, their God did not. God kept his promises, as he often does, despite our own actions. And he was going to keep this one as well. You see, God knew something about this story that Abraham and Sarah did not. Their coming child was going to be the key to countless godly generations who love and fear the Lord. And so in spite of Abraham and Sarah's immoral choices, they would have a child one day that they could not yet see to a window that felt like it had already shut because it was God's will. It was God's will for them to have a child. So now we fast forward to our story in Genesis 21 because God's promises are not a placebo, okay? They're actual reality. God's promises are going to come true if we remain patient. Now let's pick up the story in Genesis 21. Then the Lord took note of Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had promised, because God always keeps his promises. So Sarah conceived and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the appointed time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham named his son who was born to him, the son whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. Then Abraham circumcised his son, Isaac, when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Now Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh with me. And she said, who would have thought, who would have said to Abraham and Sarah would nurse children, yet I have given birth to a son in his old age. And the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham held a feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. 
Don't we love happy endings? We love happy endings. Don't you love in a movie and a story ends happily? God promised Abraham and Sarah a son. And Abraham and Sarah wavered in their hope, and they made some grievous errors along the way. But God kept his promise, didn't he? A son was born to Abraham and Sarah. And this is a great story of God's goodness and faithfulness in our lives that should inspire us to never doubt and always trust the timing of God and his promises. But is that the end of the story? It's not. Because we come to our main text today, and it's Genesis chapter 22. And I told you to imagine being Abraham and Sarah. I want you to imagine the day that your son is born, your long-awaited son, the son of promise. How would you be feeling today if you were a mother, the day your son is finally born? Sarah waited her entire life to be a mother, and now she finally was. Did you ever get something you long anticipated? Did you ever finally get something you long anticipated, and then it finally came, and you were so overjoyed and excited? Now, I got engaged, some of you know this already, when I was 28 years old. 28. It's a little later in life. Most of my friends were married right out of college, around 22. But I had to wait an extra six full years to find and marry my wife. So the day that I became engaged was a day full of joy. And then when I finally got married, I was elated. Right when I looked like I may be single for the rest of my life, Janine was sent to me. So imagine being Sarah, and you finally get to hold your newborn son. Imagine the joy and satisfaction of seeing that little boy and knowing that it's yours. And it's tempting to think right now that Sarah, as the mother, had more to look forward to and more joy to gain from Isaac than Abraham did. At least that's where my mind went. Because I've seen my own wife with her children. I love my children, but she's bursting a joy when she's holding that little baby boy or girl in her arms for the first time. I mean, after all, due to some mistakes along the way, if you know the story, Abraham already had a child. Did you know that? Abraham already had a son. He was a father of a son already. This was not Abraham's first rodeo. Abraham was already a dad. But for Sarah, this was all brand new. Sarah was finally a mother for the first time. But for Abraham, it's nice to have a baby with your wife, of course, but babies are babies, right? I mean, regardless of how you get one, a baby is a gift from God and a blessing from God, meaning that Isaac was probably no more special than any other baby. See, Abraham had a child already with Sarah's handmaiden, Hagar. And the child's name was Ishmael. So Isaac was Abraham's second son. And since parents are not allowed to pick favorites, we aren't, Isaac must not have been any more special to Abraham than Ishmael was, correct? At least according to logic. But if we're thinking that way, then we're thinking too earthly. Because although God allowed Ishmael to be born, Ishmael was not God's plan for Abraham and Sarah. Isaac was. It was always Isaac. Isaac was the son promised by God to Abraham and Sarah, not Ishmael. So God told Abraham that he would make Abraham the father of many generations, and it would come through the son of promise. Isaac, not the son of manipulation, Ishmael. So let's rewind once again to Genesis 17 and listen to what God tells Abraham. Excuse me, Abraham says to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. But God said, No. But your wife Sarah will bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant. 
As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I will bless him and make him fruitful and multiply him exceedingly. He shall father twelve princes, and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you this time next season. When he finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. See, God had made another promise to Abraham. Abraham was going to be the patriarch of generations too numerous to count. That's God's promise to Abraham. And then all those godly generations are going to come through who? Isaac. God was going to make a promise to Abraham that he would be the patriarch of so many descendants that they're like the stars in the night sky and the sand on the seashore. They're too numerous to count. And they would all come through whom? Isaac. We just need to know that. That's a really important part of our story. Not any son. Isaac. So when Isaac is finally born, Sarah, of course, is overjoyed because she now has a baby boy. But Abraham had just become the spiritual grandfather of all of God's people. Us sitting here today. You could trace us all back to Abraham. Abraham was now the earthly bedrock of Christianity, a label too profound and too amazing to even comprehend. When Isaac was finally born, everything was different and everything was exciting. And if that's where the story ended, then we'd all be inspired to remember that God is the God of blessings beyond our comprehension. But now the story takes a dramatic turn as we come to our passage in Genesis 22 because God decides to test his son, his servant, Abraham. See, Abraham by this point was selected to be the grandfather of many, many generations. And Abraham had made mistakes along the way leading up to that point. But now Abraham by this point is 100 years old or so, and he's matured his faith with God. He is. He's a mature man. It was a perfect time to test Abraham and to see how much he had learned along the way. So God gave Abraham a commandment, and he said this to him. He said, Take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering as one on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. Did you hear it? Did you hear what God just commanded Abraham to do? To take his one long-awaited only true son, the very son that God promised him everything through, it wasn't Ishmael. It wasn't a son to come. All of it would come through Isaac to take him and to kill him as a burnt offering on a sacrifice to the Lord. Now let's pause and ask this question before we move on. What would be the hardest thing for you to give up in your life? You don't have to yell it out, but think inwardly. What would be the hardest thing for you to give up in your life? Because whatever it is, it's not even close to what Isaac was to Abraham. Whatever that thing is, God has not made a covenant with that thing like he did with Abraham. And not only was this commandment hard, but it wasn't even logical. It wasn't even logical because remember what God said. No, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son and you shall call his name Isaac and I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. You notice it, right? Isaac was to be the conduit of all of God's promises to Abraham. Isaac. Isaac was Abraham's only true son because it came with God's blessing attached. And Abraham is not confused at this point on which son it was going to come through. It was Isaac. If something happens to Isaac, 
the covenant could not be kept. But God never breaks a promise. So what's going on here? This isn't logical. If you would hear such a thing from God, it wouldn't logically compute. Has the Lord ever told you to do something that did not seem logical? Something that your brain had trouble computing? Well, let's try to compute this one. Abraham and Sarah waited their entire marriage to have a child. And finally, when Abraham was 100 and Sarah was 90, they gave birth to Isaac. And then God promises that through Isaac, Abraham would be the father, the grandfather of many, many, many descendants and generations. God promised that the eternal covenant of God would come through Isaac, the son of promise, and not Ishmael, the son of manipulation. So Abraham had literally everything invested into Isaac. Isaac, according to God's commandment and God's covenant. That wasn't even Abraham's plan. That was God's plan. So God just told Abraham to take your son, your only son, and sacrifice him unto me, potentially losing the very son of promise and all the promises attached. Now this lesson today is part one. We're purposefully not going to finish the story here, even though most of you know it. Because the story is going to pick up again in the New Testament in a very, very powerful parallel that that's, we're going to look at next week. But I don't want to leave you hanging right there because there is a powerful point today to our lesson that we're speaking of right now, and it's this. It's Abraham's response to God. In verse 3 of our chapter, it says, Now Abraham got up early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac, and he split wood for the burnt offering, and he set out and went to the place of which God had told him. There's nothing prior to that. That's it. That's Abraham's response to God. As shocking as it is to hear God's commandment to Abraham, it's even more shocking to see Abraham's response back to God. As far as we know, there's no shock and awe from Abraham. There's no ghosting God, acting like he didn't hear him, right? That's a thing we do today when we don't want to answer back. Oh, I didn't hear you. Whoops. There was no refusal. There was no bargaining. There was no agreeing to it initially and then backing out of it later. That's another thing we love to do today. Yeah, I'll do it. No, I can't now. Abraham didn't do that. He didn't even say to God, God, you need to explain yourself first. He simply arose and obeyed this insanely hard commandment from God. Now, pastors and teachers, every time I've heard this spoke, they'll always ask this question. What would you have done if you were Abraham? I've heard that so many times hearing this story over the years. And I'm going to ask it again today because I'm a pastor and that's what we do. We all plagiarize. Um, what would you do if you were Abraham? Or maybe we'll ask it this way. What will you do? Because God will require something from you that you desire to keep. Did you know that? And he will ask us sometimes to do something and give up something that doesn't make any logical sense in our minds. In fact, he already has. Did you know that? Both collectively as a church and individually. Remember when I asked you what would be the hardest thing for you to give up? The proper response to that question, if we're being honest, is everything. Our entire lives. That is the proper response to what would be the hardest thing for you to give up. Everything. And are we aware yet 
that in our very lives we've been given that exact commandment from our Lord Jesus. In Matthew 16, now we fast forward a lot into the life of Jesus, and he said this thing to his followers. He said to his disciples, if anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself. He must take up his cross daily, and he must follow me. Jesus commanded us to do similar to what God commanded Abraham to do. Take everything that you care about and sacrifice it unto me. Why? God, why would I do that? Why should I? That's everything I care about. Everything I've invested in. That's everything that matters to me. You're asking me to give up everything that's valuable to me. How come, God? Why? That is a huge ask. And before we close today, we want to answer that question. Why should we? Why would we sacrifice our entire lives to Jesus Christ? And why was Abraham willing to sacrifice his only son Isaac, the son of promise, to his God? Why? Why? Because it's not logical. Why would he and why should we? That's the question we want to leave off today. And I'm going to give you five answers, okay? Number one, and very simply... God is God. It actually says in Scripture, He is the potter and we are the clay. Does the clay respond to the potter and say, Why did you make me this way? No, it doesn't. That'd be silly. He is the potter. We are the clay. He is God. And we don't have the right to disobey God, do we? He's God. We are the servants. If God gives us a commandment, our only response should be, Yes, sir, because He's God. It's that simple. That should be enough. But let's keep going because there's four more answers to that question. Why should we? Number two is because God loves us. And he has the very best interest for us. Did you also know that? God is not up there toying with us like marionettes. He loves us. He wants the very best for us. In fact, he's invested so much into us that whatever he asks of us is bathed in God's love. Number three goes along with it. God's plan for our lives is better than our own plan. It's better. Guys, and I had to learn that the hard way. Maybe you did as well. And if you haven't, then learn now. God's plan for your life is better than your own. You think you know best for your life. You're wrong. I thought I knew best for my life. I was dreadfully wrong. And then God said, let me show you my plan. So whatever God asks of you and asks of us is going to take you somewhere that you could not take yourself. Number four. Eternity is a long time to live with regret, is it not? Now, if you live with regret for a few years, that's annoying, right? That's bothersome. If you stand before God on Judgment Day and you said, I didn't sacrifice my life for you. You did for me, but I didn't for you. And now you're staring into eternity with that regret. That's a long time to live with that regret. Number five, this is the point of the story we're going to get to next week. God did it for us first. When God says, give me everything, give me everything that matters to you, he can say that because he already did it for us. Remember Jesus. God has one only begotten son. His name is Jesus. And as we finish our story next week, we're going to learn that although these stories are very eerily similar, they have a very drastic, different end to them. Isaac is spared. 
Jesus is crushed. And we're going to finish that story of the sacrifice part two next week. And the ending might surprise you. But I ask you to come back for a powerful lesson that will literally, possibly could change your life forever. But until then, let us be like Abraham today. Let us remember to give God exactly what he asks of us and commands of us. Because Abraham's legacy is stamped by this very story today. If you've heard the name of Abraham, it's this reason right here. If you've ever heard his name, if you know his story, it's because of this story right here. What appeared to be a sacrifice from Abraham, the hardest thing he was ever asked, turned out to be the greatest investment he ever made. Right? And we know that. We have the hindsight going, oh, Abraham, you were a wise man. You were a really godly guy to give up Isaac. But imagine being told to give up Isaac. And now it's our turn. We have an option. We can keep and seek to save our lives in this life. And then one day, Jesus has told us himself, we will forfeit them forever. If we seek to save them and hold on to them now, one day we'll lose them forever, along with any godly legacy that could come after that. We'll lose it all. If we seek to save it and hold on to it, one day we'll lose everything. Or we could see the sacrifice Jesus is demanding of us today as eternal investment. And we can give Jesus everything. And as we'll be reminded next week, Jesus gave us everything. It says in Philippians 2, he left it all to come to earth, to serve his people, and to die on a cross for their sins. He literally gave us everything. And because of that, as we'll learn today and be reminded of next week, he is worthy of everything. I hope that's an encouragement to you. Let's bow in prayer. Father, I thank you for this. There's so many lessons that pour in my mind through the Abraham and Isaac story, but I thank you for that one reminder, Father, that you were going to ask us something that's hard, something that's painful, something that costs something to give up in this life. In fact, you already have. Jesus has told us to deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and follow him. And it sounds like giving up a lot until we realize that Jesus did it first and that when we follow his example, we will be the richest souls that could ever live on the other side when we obey your commandment to follow Jesus. Father, help us take a look in our hearts today and say, where am I in this calling? Where am I in this sacrifice? Am I withholding or am I sacrificing? Because as we'll learn next week, everything good comes from saying yes and everything bad comes from saying no. Father, guide us into this, remind us of this, and help us to see Jesus in a clear light because of this. We give you all credit and glory for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.